detective? Thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Now Care More, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial event. How it works. You really ship the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Bartleball, and I'm joined by my co-host, Bill Van Vagel. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. We've had a few technical issues here and there, and I'm looking forward to getting into the what's really going to be coming up in the next month or month and a half for our listeners, and what something that we're all excited about, you and I, the upcoming shows. So let's kind of give a few overviews, talk about our new year, and get into what's coming up. Well, yes, and then the big thing being that it is a new year. So happy 2021, everyone. Today, we're going to kind of have our first episode of 2021, and it's sort of more of a, we had originally intended to record it right before the new year, like literally right before on Christmas Eve. And uh, that was the the first round of technical difficulties (laughs) Bill was talking to. It's always fun when you get new tech at the holidays and then trying to figure out to make sure your tech jives with the stuff you've been previously using. It's always great to try to upgrade, but then you have to figure out the nuances of those upgrades. So anybody else who's into podcasting or has played with anything electronic or computer like knows exactly what we're going through. So again, happy new year to everyone. And what we're going to do today is review a couple of movies that we've seen because I think both Bill and I kind of had the last week or so off and we've had time to, uh, catch a few movies. Bill's been trying to catch up for some of the many podcasts that you're on, primarily Land of the Creeps. And I think we're both trying to move towards and get our lists ready for end of the year. And that's one of the first things that we want to mention is we do intend to have two episodes for best of the year, probably coming towards the later part of January. And we're going to do one for horror. That's what we've done in the past here. And then one for science fiction, fantasy, other genre movies. Uh, We're still ironing out all the details. We're trying to find a way to give to to do something that will allow us to share our lists and then allow Bill to have some latitude because he'll essentially be sharing two lists, one for here and one for LOTC. So we want to make sure that there's enough freshness between the two of those. So we're still figuring that out. We are going to bring on guests for both episodes. I'm still ironing it out, but we have uh, things in the works there. Uh, We got great response so far from the Tales from the Phantom Galaxy episodes we've done, where we've done the stories. And right up up there now, if you want to catch them, we still have the tales, uh, like ghost stories for wintertime, ghost stories for Christmas. Most of the stories that we included are not strictly Christmas stories, so they can be enjoyed, even though the holiday has now passed us by. But we have a part one and a part two up there with some great contributors uh, and uh, some great stories as well. So check those out. 
and we're going to do one for January. And this is where the series is going to become more of a regular fixture. It's going to be a little shorter. We'll probably feature one to two stories every month and we will have contributors that will be sending us stories. We've got a, a great uh, episode coming up where we're going to have a contributor. We also have some of the big things will be coming up is we do have a website that we're launching for Phantom Galaxy. So there will be a place outside of Podbean that will host the podcast. It'll allow us to post articles and things like that. Uh, and if we want to do mini written reviews and things like that for the website, we're also looking to get the, we have a Facebook page but we're going to get a Facebook group for Phantom Galaxy started very shortly within the next week or so as well. So all of those things are, are coming for the new year. There's some other stuff as well. Uh, and one of the things I want to talk about before we get into our reviews is I did want to take a moment and mention that uh, we're going to continue to do episodes like this where Bill and I will talk about various topics and talk about movie reviews. We're going to do, we're trying to increase our interviews this year, uh, by lieu of the fact that except really for bringing Victor Rodriguez on, we haven't really done interviews in a, in a traditional sense. So we're going to uh, up that in the new year. We're also looking to up the guests that we bring on. We've been bringing on a lot of guests. We're trying to expand that, really reach out into the podcasting community for that. And we are going to start two regular sort of mini casts within Phantom Galaxy that will be uh, staples or features that will happen at least once a month, probably in a every two to three week kind of cycle. And there's going to be two of them. I'm going to be heading one up with Dave Becker, Dave from Dave, Dr. Shock Becker, who is on land of the creeps and is also on horror movie podcast. And he's also on uh, DVD infatuation over at um, consider the cinema, but he and I are starting a series at, that is focused specifically on animated films and any kind of element of the animated world. So not strictly, this isn't going to be just Disney or Pixar or strictly anime, but all of those things kind of together and reaching back as far as animation goes and to everything that's fresh as well. We're going to bring in a couple reviews every episode. We're going to review a couple short films and then we'll probably have two features that we look at. And Bill, Bill will be along too when he can join in as well. And that's going to be happening. We'll probably try to record every couple of weeks. So you're looking at least one episode a month where we will focus in on animated features and really dive into that uh, because that's a big passion of mine. I've been talking to Dave and he's really interested in it as well, particularly because of the variety in that, in that facet. The other thing is that an idea that Bill had brought and it kind of just put it in his court to run with. So Bill's going to tell you about the other mini cast that we have going on. That's going to be specifically, it's going to be, I'll, I'll be present, but he's going to kind of head it up and he's going to have a co-host and everything. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Bill. Okay. Well, I'd love to share with everybody. One day I was just sitting around and as many of you are aware who listened to me on my various podcasts, I love rock and roll. I love classic rock. I love all variations of music pretty much. And so that's another one of my passions. And I thought, as our podcast is growing and our listenership is growing, we might want to expand some of the things we look at. So why not be able to incorporate storytelling, horror, and music kind of when we can? It's not going to necessarily be a regular thing, but every two months, every three months, maybe even get to once a month, I would like to come on and we would discuss a song or an album or an artist or something musically that 
is also incorporated into horror or sci-fi or fantasy or even an action story. Some Everybody out there knows of a musician or a band that's a great storyteller. And they can weave a great tale. Well, I'm going to try to bring some of that to here so that if you're not necessarily a movie fan, if you're not necessarily a Star Wars person or you're not necessarily a Friday the 13th person, this will get you into it. And if you are one of those people, this will really get and give you a different outlet to look into. So I'm not going to tell you what the first episode's going to be about, but it's going to be about a band that anybody who knows me or has listened to me knows that I'm right into. And to me, it's 20 minutes and 38 seconds of orgasmic bliss to the ear. That's all I'm going to say. You know, for those of you who have any idea about musicianship and quality of recording and storytelling and digging into, we have assumed control. We have assumed control. We have assumed control. We're going to bring in a guest for the next group, uh, the next group of, uh, sorry, the next episode. And we'll try to get somebody in. Could be the same person, could be different people for each episode. So if you guys have any ideas or any musicians or songs or stories that became songs, uh, float them by uh, Nathan or myself and uh, we'll look into it because I think this can be a lot of fun. What do you think about that there, Nathan? Well, I think it's great. I'm really looking forward to it. Are, are we going to reveal yet, Bill, who your co-host? Or, oh, my co-host. We have is? we have lined up Mr. Dave Waugh, Dave Roy. If, if you've never listened to him before, he's got a great podcast, The Great Freight North. And he's been a guest on Land of the Creeps. And he's been on phone calls for other podcasts. And he's friends with a lot of us in the community. He's also a radio man who does a radio show with his local university, uh, Western University in London, Ontario, uh, all about music soundtracks and movie soundtracks. So he knows it. But if there's anybody out there listening who is a technical musician, who knows how to read notes and knows how to read uh, the technical aspects of music, please let us know because we're just talking from a layman's terms, us. But if there's somebody that actually plays and go, you know what, that lower C chord was a great transition into some, you know. Please let us. Or know. even if you're even if you're just a music enthusiast who can't play the chords but can hear them, you're, <laughs> you're welcome as well. Absolutely, um, bring on the passion. And if you have somebody in particular, like we all know of certain musicians that can tell a great story, but there's more that I or Nathan or Dave or anybody else knows. So please bring it to the table. Yes, and like uh, like Bill said with Dave, Dave Roy, he's he's been a fixture here on on the phantom galaxy as well. He joined me early on for an episode, uh, any Morricone episode that we did. And that was a lot of fun. And, uh, he's also, we've heard his voice. If you've listened to the tales on the phantom galaxy, he has been on both installments of that. He was the first one. He read a really great story and he did another one just recently, the kit bag on the winter ghost stories. And he's going to be joining, uh, so he'll be in Phantom Galaxy in that respect for the for the music episode or the music series. So these are both series. I still I don't know if you've picked a name yet, Bill. I have for the sort of series within a podcast. I haven't picked a name for our animation series yet, but I will, and uh, we'll kind of promote those as we go along. But Dave's going to join as well for an episode coming up that it's going to feature also Victor Rodriguez, who's been on the show a couple of times and has also lent his voice to the, the narrative episodes. We're going to do uh, 
both of them and myself are going to do the first season of the X-Files, a sort of overview, and we're each going to bring our top favorite episodes from that first season, talk about the season in general, but it is going to be a one-episode shot for... We're going to aim for all the seasons. We'll see how far we get. But to begin with, we're just going to be do a a big episode centered around that first uh, season of the X Files. So that will also be coming up in January. And one of the other big things that we have that I'm excited about in terms of episode is we're going to continue the sci-fi kind of I don't know if you want to call it classic or essential series that we've done where we've kind of. We've done uh, a few of them now. We've done 2001 and we did Dark City where we take these science fiction movies. They're considered classics. And we try to bring in people who either A, haven't seen the movie, B, haven't seen the movie in a long time, or C, are just really enthusiastic about the movie. Bill, do you want to share what our movie for January or is going to be? Well, this is going to be a first time watch for me as well, kind of similar to when I did 2001. Oh, and really? It is? Yeah, it I will didn't know be. that. Yeah, it will be. So I'm going to be fresh blood, fresh for the fodder, like a pig coming to the slaughterhouse. Matt Rawling and his son Jackson, Pastor Matt, who's from Father and Son Watch Horror. I really recommend you listen to their podcast. They are huge high sci fi and horror fans, and they can't wait to dig their heels in and listen and watch. Uh, Flash Gordon. And I'm looking forward to seeing whatever the silliness is everybody talks about. So join in. And <laughs> so our monthly one will be Flash Gordon. When it comes out, we'll be in the next couple of weeks. So I think you're going to have a lot of fun with this one. And this is 1980s Flash Gordon with Sam J. Jones in it and uh, and Max von Sydow as well. Now, now, to tie into my musical interlude, I do know the yeah. Flash from Queen soundtrack. I just don't know the actual... The story itself. So, is this a Tubi movie? Can I find this on? It's a good one. I bought it a few years back. We were on vacation in the summer, and a big uh, we were we were down in the Outer Banks of North Carolina in a tropical area, and a big tropical storm came through. And the kids were real disappointed because last day or two, we were like, "What are we going to do?" It's pouring rain, so we went to Walmart and went to the five dollar bin, and there was Flash Gordon. I had seen it before. I'd seen it when I was a kid, but the cast is crazy. The movie is really well done, but it's made to evoke a campy 30 serial the way the original Flash Gordon serials were. So that, so, that I look forward to because anybody that takes it tongue in cheek and they kind of know what they're trying to create, that's great. As long as they don't take themselves too seriously. Well, and I think that's what will be interesting because if you look, go back to our innocence episode that we did when we had Matt and Jackson on and we kind of talked about the fact it came up briefly that the question becomes is is Flash Gordon a good bad movie or is it just a good movie is it or is it just a bad movie I don't know we'll see I it didn't sound like the three of us you might come down on that fence Bill we'll see so I think the other three of us at least were willing to say it was at least a good bad movie as as Confucius say man who sit on fence gets splinters in butt Yes, we'll see where you come down on it. Um, So, so far, you haven't liked any of the movies as much as I have, but they were also your first time seeing them. Yeah, a lot of times times these need to ruminate with me for a while. Flash Gordon's a little less cerebral. It's a lot of like, what you get is what you get. 
I could watch it right out of bed and get as much out of it as if I'm completely. Yeah, I, I, it has uh, superficial pleasures, shall I say? <laughs> okay, all right, but but there's a lot of them, so you could you could look forward to that. And awesome, because um, I I just wanted to let everybody know that we are looking to, as you've said already, expand our list of guests coming on. I mean, we we there are there are regular suspects that we talk about a lot, like. Greg Amortis and Dave Becker and Matt and Jackson Rawling and Peter and Hugh we're planning to have back at some point. You guys have to realize they're in Europe, so it's a five-hour time difference. So that's always a, a fun time getting that together. But I think we'd love to get the Evil Jelly guys, uh, James and, and Rourke and Miles. They'll come on at some point and get back the Real Talk guys. I can't wait to have a debate about Tubi with Tommy and talked about sharks with uh, Gabe. So that'll be great. Everybody listen to Real Talk, a movie podcast. Great show. But we do have some reviews of some brand new movies and some movies that we've just caught up with. So I want to go and do that. And we will have these regular capsule review episodes sort of in between everything else. So I'm going to turn it over to Bill, though, first. Bill threw a couple titles at me that he was reviewing. And I did manage to catch up with some of them. Uh, I do have some reviews of some of the big movies, including Wonder Woman 1984, which previewed on HBO Max. But before we do that, Bill, you had a movie that you came to me and said, hey, I think you should watch this. And within about five minutes of you texting me, three other people, no lie, not connected at all with Bill, were telling me, you need to also see this movie, this horror movie, this horror comedy. So I'm going to turn it over to Bill because uh, I I was skeptical. (laughs) All righty. Yeah. So you know, with all my various podcasts and being a family man and a sports lover and a music lover, my time is kind of limited here with what when I just get to just watch a movie and not have to take any notes for it. I just get to enjoy a movie. And one of the ones that had been in my back burner for a while was one that was 2020, and it looked a little quirky. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, and either did Nathan or pretty much anybody that walks into this. And that's 2020's Uncle Peckerhead. Now, just by the title itself, you're like, you can tell they got a certain sense of humor to it, but you really don't know what anything's about. So Uncle Peckerhead is a 2020 comedy slash horror slash music. And here's what IMDb calls it. He says, when a punk band scores their first tour, life on the road proves tough when they are joined by a man-eating demon as a roadie. Ooh, woo, woo, woo. So Uncle Peckerhead is directed by Matthew John Lawrence, who up to this point had really, I don't think has produced anything that anybody would recognize unless you're into shorts. Uh, it stars a crew of relatively unknown, Mike Lawrence, David Littleton, and Chat Siegel. And uh, David Littleton as Uncle Peckerhead is really good. And he was in the art department of that movie, The Signal, from 2007. Now, I know there's a few of The Signals. This isn't the Lawrence Fishburne one. This is the other, the other major, major one that will come up in a review. The movie opens with a zombie eating a body, and he's approaching a van. And he kind of has an, uh, uh, some innards of a body. He's chewing on it, and he goes back to his white van. And then we cut away to a bunch of early to mid-20s punkers who have kind of a a punk rock slash alternative band and they're kind of just getting their stuff together they're starting to make some noise in the industry they finally have a record deal 
They're finally able to scrape together enough money to get on a quasi tour, basically various bars across the Midwest or what have you. And at the beginning, you can tell they're not quite all together because the main bass uh, guitar player slash singer can't speak in public very well. He can speak his lines well, but he can't address the crowd. One girl's van is being repossessed and it's all kind of done in a comedic way. But uh, one band member, they go out and they decide they have to find a van because it's been repossessed. And if they're going to go on the road, they got to find a van. So they're going around, they're putting up all these posters. If you have a van, please give us a call. We need to go from X to Y. And they're in one parking lot and they put one on a van that's on the side in the parking lot. They put it under the windshield and a guy comes out and gives them holy hell. What are you doing? This is my property. What are you bugging me for? Turns out he's going to let them use the van if he can be the driver and act as a roadie. So they're like, all right. So, and they're going to their various venues and they kind of get screwed over by one of the promoters. Let's just say Uncle Peckerhead takes a bite. Peck is the guy that owns the van. And we don't really know a lot about him. He's a little vague. He lives in the van, but he takes a bite out of the promoter. Let's just put it that way. And the rest of the film is the characters in their band. They find a little bit of romance along the way. It's their interactions with each other and their interactions with this Uncle Peckerhead, who seemingly has some sort of drug to control his urges. I don't want to give a lot of it away. I do want to say there's lots of blood. There's some really fun quirkiness with the characters. There's some romance, both of the heterosexual and homosexual variety. It doesn't take anything away from the film. It actually kind of adds a little bit to it because it isn't a pure-on-pure horror film. Uh, It very much um, reminded me of the film Suck from the early 2000s with Alice Cooper and Henry Rollins and uh, a bunch of others where they were vampires on the road. It's kind of got that feel to it. Um, It's got some really good music. It's kind of like a harder-edged green day, if you want to kind of go that way. Um, Some oddly heartwarming moments. Uh, It deals with uh, different types of sexualities. It talks about uh, the dynamics of being in a band. It talks about that group dynamic. It talks about the politics of getting gigs And the ending I really liked because it kind of left it open to something else that could happen. So, Nathan, what did you think of the film? Have I done it justice or is there anything you'd like to add to that? No, I think you have. And it's kind of impressive to Chad because this is a movie that in some ways is kind of hard to pin down. And I'll be honest – it's on Amazon Prime. It's, it's for free. I've, when In the episode that we did with Hugh and Peter, we kind of went off on – we were doing Christmas movies, but we went off on a tangent about why isn't it that people can't hire good artists to sort of do poster art for these independent films? And Uncle Peckerhead's a good example of people doing a relatively decent bit of poster art for the movie because – it's a painted, illustrated image there. The title is a very evocative, but you're you're not sure is this going to be a butt boy? What kind of, what kind of movie um, are we in for with a title like that? And how low budget is it going to be? And the minute that the movie starts, your a lot of your fears are immediately alleviated because this is while it is clearly low budget, it doesn't necessarily look that low budget. It looks like an indie film. It could have been produced in the, you know, 
the 90s, the 2000s, but it looks polished. Uh, the acting varies, but the acting is never bad. The acting is at a level where it doesn't feel uh, stiff. It doesn't feel, it feels organic in a lot of ways. And when you get to like Peck, the character of Peck, and uh, the, the job that he's doing as an actor with that character is very strong because there's, as you pointed out, there's a lot of dichotomy going on. This movie for, I would say, 80% of its running time, maybe more, really, I'd say maybe 90% of this movie is a punk indie drama comedy dramedy you know however you want to say more comedy yeah. than drama that's why i kind of that's why i equated it to suck because it is the same kind of yes. feel yeah it, whereas suck had a was a little bit more on the i don't want to say pure comedy but it was almost more on that sort of like a uh, goofball comedy that happened to feature a a band full of vampires and it used the vampires uh for the jokes the uncle peckerhead idea is almost like what you would see in a saturday morning cartoon right because it's got one basic beat which is the band wants to have gigs and they want to make it the music, but every once in a while, their roadie, who is otherwise a affable, seemingly really nice guy, will get sinister and then will sometimes turn into a monster to eat somebody. And it's sort of how do they how do they flush the success? Uh, they're going to flush their success if they have to deal with this monster and do something about him. So he kind of just gets a little bit of free reign because he's also helping them out. So that could be rinse and repeat. Here's a kind of gag that we just run into the ground. And they don't do that. There's a real movie here. There's real dramatic beats in it. And you get sucked into what's happening. You get sucked in with the characters. And all the expectations you'd have of any kind of other dramatic movie are here. But there is, there's gore. The gore pops up and it punctuates the drama. And the gore looks really good. Like the very, there's an early shot where you're watching this like body laying on the ground this is some serious special effects that they've put in into work here practical effects and they look very they look very well i it's such a strange alchemy of pieces but they do come together that they feel organic you actually don't end up watching this movie feeling like you've seen this really off the wall film you feel like you've seen a story and i agree with you that very last shot of the movie it's flipping you again just a little bit because you've been going through this journey and there's some heartwarming moments and there's some tense moments and then you get to the end and they, 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 they'll flip another card in a sense. So I really liked everywhere that it went. I do think that if you're sitting down and you want horror, you want to be scared or you even want a Peter Jackson gonzo like blood fast splatter movie. This is not what this is. This is a very unique kind of story that, People used all the resources they had. And again, I was with these characters and I had compassion and I was charmed to some extent by the, by Peck, by that, by that character. Yeah, and there, there is a, a certain point, at least I felt a reversal in empathy throughout this film. And that was good. The other part that I didn't get to say, and you just said, was the practical effects are decent. There are some fun kills. So while this isn't a quote-unquote slasher movie or quote-unquote zombie movie where everybody's ripping heads off, the ones that are there are a lot of fun. There's a scene in a parking lot that I actually just wailed at. And the other, the other thing we haven't talked about is it took me 15 minutes to realize this is set in, in the 90s. 
it, because it, it isn't initially said that, but the, what what clued me in was they were creating mixtapes for the for the drive in the van. So this might even have been set in the eighties. Well, and the soundtrack, which is really good, feels like an eighties sort. Of, but but you're right, Bill. The tone of the film it feels like it's almost in one of those can't quite pin your finger on it. But when the mixtape came out, I started to try to look for. When is this exactly? And you're probably about right. The late 80s, early 90s. And the other part of it that I was like, I was like, it has to be is the prices they were charging for the cassettes and for the gigs. Like five bucks for a cassette. I mean, we're talking Walmart times back in the 80s for that. Right. And the genius now setting movies like that, if you're not that concerned about the nostalgia, is the fact that you get to take this. Why don't you just call on your cell phone? bit out of the out of the context of the of the yeah, dangerous the, situations you know yeah, that, that was nice out their phone that was nice but they also didn't like go overboard with it like everything wasn't all about like goonies or it's it, the setting is and i think that's one of the things about this movie is it does feel organic it never feels like it's trying too hard and i think that's what's charming about it you got a title like uncle peckerhead and you're like what is this gonna be but the most outrageous thing about this movie is the title what surprises you is is that the story is there, is that this isn't a boilerplate thing and that it feels fresh. That's what's truly like kind of avant-garde about it is it just tells a good story. Yeah. And I mean, I would love to hear the backstory from the director, Matthew John Lawrence or David Littleton or Chad Siegel, Chet Siegel, because there's a great story here. I can tell the, the the people that put this together love the genre. They love music, and they kind of just wanted to do their thing. So, if anybody's listening who's involved in it, we'd love to get a hold of you. And it does. You can see that somewhere in there, there's that germ of that idea of the, you know, you got these people that sometimes they're really good at one thing, and they're you get them in your proximity, and then you realize that even though they do what they need to do really well. They're a they're a monster to deal with in other ways, and that's kind of the story you have going on here. Um, what do you rate this one, Bill? I I have a feeling this has a chance to sneak into a top ten list, or at the bare minimum, a the honorable mentions because it's a lot of fun. I would give this a solid seven to a seven and a half out of ten. Yeah, I'd actually go an eight for me for this okay. one. I, I was just so. Like again, I think charmed is a good word for it. Yeah, that it's, it's got it, it's not that it's a happy go lucky movie, but when you finish watching it, you go from being skeptical to you you are satisfied when the movie wraps up. Yeah, because you also see some character development within the story. Uh, I rather like the main girl that's the lead singer, kind of the driver behind all this. She goes from being a bit difficult to being quite heartwarming to turning her back on people all within this frame of 87 minutes or whatever it is. I think we're both in agreement here. This is a definite check it out. If you're someone who's trying to do that last minute, how many movies can I get in to make my whatever list? I do think this is one that you would want to see because as Bill said, you know, this, this does have the opportunity, I think, to sneak into a, into a top list because the quality is definitely there. And did you want to lead this now into uh, a sci-fi movie? Sure, yeah. Um, but before I that, I did want to go ahead and talk about another small movie that came out, which oh, is Wonder okay. Woman, 1984. Oh, just a just a tiny a, little little footnote. Just to a me. little, just a little movie. Uh, of course, this is one that was supposed to release over the summer, and COVID 
and quarantine shook all that up and it shook up the movie industry as well. And I'm not going to belabor anything about what's going on and Wonder Woman being part of this deal um, with Warner Brothers and with HBO Max, where they have essentially acquired an entire slate of what were once potentially theatrical movies and are releasing them in this on-demand way with the streaming, you know, all the other pieces aside and what I may think about that, it was certainly kind of a nice treat that as having HBO Max that come Christmas Day, I could actually turn Wonder Woman 1984 on, set up the, the sound system and the projector and everything and watch it, you know, with the family and, and enjoy it that way. This movie, of course, is another DC, you know, DC's trying to build a universe seemingly in the same way that Marvel did. And that clearly has been sort of stymied all along the way for various different reasons. I'm not going to get into that too much. I've talked about it at length either on this podcast when the original Wonder Woman came out and some of those other movies or over at the other podcast that I do um, with Nathan Bell where we talked about that as well. So I've kind of given my feelings, which is that DC, they haven't followed the same template that Marvel has done. The movies tend to be scattershot both in style and sometimes in quality. I think in the film universe, they haven't been as successful as they've been on television with Arrow and The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow. And even recently when they did a new series called Stargirl, which if you have HBO Max, that's on the from the CW, but it is available on HBO Max right now, Stargirl is. And I watched that with my kids. I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the first Wonder Woman movie that, that came out in, I want to say 2017, I believe, 2017, 2018. And it was a fun sort of throwback adventure film. It was, uh, Patty Jenkins did a really great job of directing it. It had a feel, an epic feel to it. And it took place in a universe that felt real, even though you were de basically dealing with a 40s war film, right? Chris Pine brought a lot to that as well. And Gal Gadot, you know, she looks marvelous as Wonder Woman. I think she was just starting to kind of step into her own as being able to, like, lead a movie. But I think she did it well. And did you get to see that first movie, Bill, when it came out? I haven't seen any Wonder Woman since Linda Carter was Wonder Woman. <laughs> Linda Carter. Well, and it's funny because this might be your Wonder Woman then. Because the, <laughs> okay. the one that came out was very kind of concerned with building an epic feel similar to, say, the first Captain America movie. It's a throwback film. You've got them in the trenches fighting in the war. And so it has an Indiana Jones kind of rollicking pulp adventure feel to it. At the end of the day, you still had a movie that moved towards we're going to have a fist fight with the bad guys because how do you avoid that in a comic book movie? And lots of times they don't bother to figure that out. We just end with a fist fight, which in my mind eventually becomes the least interesting thing you could do in that sort of a movie. So enter Wonder Woman 84, which is, is you know, it takes place in the 80s. We've got Wonder Woman a long way from where she was in that first movie, which again is taking place in the forties. She's an Amazon. So she can, she's lived this entire length of time and she looks exactly the same. And she is still pining for Steve Trevor, who was played by Chris Pine and who, uh, due to a, a event that happened in that first film is no longer in her life. And this movie is interesting because it doesn't quite go that extreme nostalgia route that you're expecting. Meaning that not like we were just talking about, this is an excuse to jam as many 80 songs in as you can to make 180s references, although you capture the ambiance of what being in the 80s was like very well. You do have a big action scene in a mall, and we remember, oh, and malls were much bigger deals than they are right now. And the basic flavor of the movie is a lot of fun. 
in that sense that you you get a you get a feel for this. At some point, there's an actor playing Ronald Reagan, although I don't think that convincingly. The entire tone of the movie, though, is I think where feeling like an 80s movie, where the 80s element is more in how this movie feels and how it plays. Because I'm hearing a lot online about how people just really didn't enjoy it, and they didn't enjoy it as much as the last one. It was a little too goofy. It was a little too scattershot. It is a little too long. I, one of the, the trends I'm noticing again, and I'm not sure it's a good one, is we're getting back into those movies that are over 150 minutes when they don't really have a reason to be. And I'd say this movie really doesn't. But you have... You've got uh, Gal Gadot again playing Diana Prince, and she is now in the 80s. She is working to research this uh, artifact that essentially you're talking about a wishing stone. So right up front in this movie, you've got all these different characters. Barbara Minerva is played by Kristen Wiig, who is a scientist who's researching the stone. And you've got... uh, or kind of fresh off the Mandalorian, you have Pedro Pascal, who's playing Maxwell Lord, who is a sham businessman who also wants the stone. And it is, it does what it says on the package. It's a wishing stone. You wish for something and it comes to pass. Uh, not exactly the way you wished for it, perhaps, but it's also not exactly like one of these Twilight Zone deals where it's trying to give you an ironical punishment. There's just many different paths to get the thing that you want. And the stone doesn't care what happens to somebody else if you get the thing that you asked for. So that does kind of, it creates a, 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 a sillier sense to the movie than maybe the first movie had because it's a lot lighter. You're dealing with characters who sort of begin the movie as ha- uh, powerless and it's not their wishes being granted that makes them feel better. It's the fact that they now gain a sense of power. So you have this story that's actually about what happens when powerless people get some power and all they want is a little bit more and they're not concerned about responsibility. They sound like heavy things, but the movie's not played that way because Steve Trevor comes back into Diana's life pretty quickly. So a lot of the movie is a lot of fun kind of banter between Chris Pine and Gal Gadot, who's doing a much stronger job in this movie acting alongside her 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 co-stars. Kristen Wiig is a lot of fun for the most part. They kind of push her towards a villain role. Pedro Pascal is doing an over-the-top sort of performance that reminds me of Gene Hackman in the old Superman movies a little bit. If you want an idea of the tone of this movie, it's a lot closer to, say, the Superman sequels from the Christopher Reeve era, but it, it, the good version of those. So this is the good version of that movie with Richard Pryor. <laughs> Uh, and again, I how good is it? I, I have a hard time coming down saying that it's it's not as strong as the last one. There are some big action sequences, but this is not an action-driven movie. So there's a scene on a highway that is as giddy and as much fun as you'd want it to be. There's an opening scene that takes place back on Themyscira, which is the island of the Amazons, featuring a young Diana when she's a kid that is exactly the kind of thing that you wish, man, I wish I'd seen this in a theater but this isn't a big Sound and Fury kind of movie. This movie is, I was talking to Greg Morgan, texting with him actually while I was watching this because he had, he and Pearl just watched it. And I just kept noting how silly it was. And I'm like, uh, Greg, this is so silly. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if the invisible plane shows up next. And then Greg gets real quiet on the other end. And in 20 <laughs> minutes, guess what? <laughs> so if you would like your superhero movies a little campier a little bit lighter that doesn't mean there's not a story this is trying to tell and i enjoyed it for that it is long by about 20 minutes it could do a lot of trimming on this it is not probably the action adventure movie that people wanted out of wonder woman but i think that's one of the problems with how these studio pictures work now millions of dollars and three or four years going to creating this thing 
that would have worked better as a couple of episodes of television, you know, and without this great weight that it's been a few years. So we need a Wonder Woman that's going to boost the entire DC franchise. And this was just a fun light sequel is a perfect viewing. It was a perfect Christmas day kind of thing. And there were some themes there. I could actually talk about with my kids afterwards. So I was personally, I was, I was, I elated. No, but I enjoyed it. And I wasn't disappointed with what I got. So I think if you're looking for that kind of movie, this is a fun family adventure movie. I don't mean that as a slag. It's doing what it does well. And I think would I want to see a better, stronger wonder woman movie. I absolutely would, but I don't think this one negates that from eventually happening. Now, is this one that somebody could watch who is not familiar with the backstory, wasn't around for Linda Carter? Really, can they just jump in and enjoy from day one? Yeah, absolutely. I do think that the story is convoluted anyway uh, in the way that sometimes this is more like an episode of the Super Friends from the 70s or the 80s than it is necessarily a Wonder Woman comic book. And I think that might be where people get hung up because there are a lot of great writers writing in comics and they very rarely use those people when they make this movie. But the answer to your question is, yeah, you can watch this without having seen the last one. You'll just have to figure out that the Steve Trevor guy who's come back, Chris Pine is in the last movie and they explain enough that you'll be with it. Again, it only makes a certain amount of sense no matter whether you saw the first one or not. It's not that deeply connected. If you are someone though, this is what I like, you are someone who hasn't just read the comics and seen the last movie, but you are someone who watched the Linda Carter Wonder Woman, this is more your movie than the last one was. And I will just say stay through the end credits. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. And I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing how well the uh, people do the costumes. Because these kinds of things, you never know. Like the costume almost always makes the character. So I'm curious how this one does. We have a few costume changes. And I think you'll get a kick out of watching Steve Trevor just realize that he now has an – he was – you know, he's a soldier in the 40s. And now suddenly he has all the wardrobe options that the 80s can afford him, <laughs> including <laughs> fanny packs. So <laughs> so for me, it's a – I honestly would give this about a – I give this a seven. But this is a fun, enjoyable comic book movie. It's the, Is it the best one out there? No. I greatly prefer it to the Batman versus Superman and the Justice League movie uh, that try to be a little dour, to try to be a little more serious. This is more in keeping with what they did with Aquaman a few years ago, which I also enjoyed. This isn't as visually a visual spectacle the way that one does, but you get a lot more out of the the interplay between uh, Godot and Pine is kind of worth the admission to. Awesome. I look forward to it. Would it be okay with my five-year-old or should I wait a bit? Um, I think so because the movie never really goes – like there are there are certain themes thematically you think later and you're like, well, hmm. But what's on screen – I watched it with my six and my eight-year-old and they were perfectly fine. The action scenes never get very scary. Uh, I Again, this is really at the level of the Christopher Reeves, the first two Superman movies. So use that as your gauge. I, I would say there's nothing in this movie that's it's that's any darker. There is a character who has a sort of transformation towards the end, um, which isn't necessarily a lot darker. It just could be a slightly scary. You know, it has that uh, in the in the in the vein of almost a werewolf transformation. But that's um, it's not excessive. So I would say if you if you're if you have a kid who you feel would be comfortable with those 
sorts of the Superman movie. This is, uh, it, to me, it felt a little lighter even than most of the recent Marvel movies. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, one movie that both of us have seen, but I'm just going to take the lead with this, is 2020's Dark Encounter. Now, I wanted to make sure I got some sci-fi to watch, and this one looked to be well done, and it's on Prime for free. So it is directed by Carl Strathy, who also directed the movie Solace, if anybody saw Solace. It stars Laura Frazier, who you might know from Breaking Bad or Bitter Call Saul, but she was also in I Am Not a Serial Killer and A Knight's Tale from years ago. Also stars Mel Rado, Sid Phoenix, who was also in Solace, and Grant Masters, who was in one that we reviewed recently, Await Further Instructions, and he was also in the British soap opera EastEnders. So the, the crew that's in here, it seems to have some acting chops. Here is the quick synopsis from IMDb. Eight-year-old Maisie went missing in 1982, and a memorial is held a year later. That evening, strange lights, sounds, etc. are observed in the woods outside. But just what are they? So here's here's my take on it. I'll give you my quick and dirty synopsis on this. A, a family has gotten together to mourn the loss of their daughter uh, one year later. And so the movie actually opens up with the point where the daughter is be, has been lost. The family comes back from an outing and she's not there. And so then we quickly cut to a year later. So there's all these family tensions, people getting together, people bickering back and forth. Uh, you know, a teenager doesn't want to sit through the meal and little family, little idiosyncrasies that we all have kind of come out. And so they're all kind of sitting around talking about the old times. And all of a sudden, some low flying planes come down. And I guess in the area where they live, they're, that's not that unusual. They kind of have an idea of who it is. So the family goes out to check it out in the woods. And there's some unusual things that happen. There's some lights. There's some blowing or wind. There's some shaking of the leaves of the trees and such. They still can't quite put a handle on it. But one of the people who's there is the uncle. And he's also the local assistant sheriff. And he is not himself after a couple of minutes and they're not too sure why. And so the group goes back to the house. Basically it was all the men went out to look in the forest. They come back and then they see these lights up in the sky and things shaking in the background and the house can physically be moving and the power cuts out, etc. And the movie flips from being a, what happened to the daughter to a sci-fi, surrealist, where-is-this-going kind of film. Um, so it's very sensory. It's very atmospheric. It takes place at night, so the use of light and sound is very present. It's a single-location film, so if you like those ones where people are trapped in a certain space and they kind of don't know what's going on, they don't have to go all around town, this is your kind of film. Uh, it's kind of got a little bit of a fire-in-the-sky vibe in that they're interacting with aliens as what they suspect is coming on overhead. I didn't find it to be the most engaging in terms of the acting. I didn't think it was nearly top drawer, but it wasn't bad. It just wasn't enough to want me to really care about the characters. Uh, there's an odd twist in the last half hour with some clarity yet vagueness, if that makes any sense. 
It gets weird with time jumps and flashbacks. Uh, there's some alien abduction issues. I wasn't quite satisfied with how the film ended. The last 25 minutes when you watch it, you'll kind of go, hmm, okay, I get it, but I don't get it. So I gave this about a 6 out of 10. As far as a sci-fi movie goes, it's not bad. It's just I find it a little all over the place. Nathan, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. No, this is a, it's an interesting movie, and it, it it looks like it was it's a 2019 slash 2020, I think is when it kind of showed up on a lot of the streaming services. It's a movie that was brought to my attention a couple times over the summer. Uh, various people were watching it, and I would see everyone post about it, and like, okay, I'll, I'll probably give it a try because I do enjoy this kind of subgenre of the alien abduction slash alien encounter kind of movie. When I was a kid, the movie communion was really, really creepy to me. And uh, same thing with even elements of close encounters of the third kind. And I think that there's always a kind of weird sort of wall between alien movie or this alien story as being kind of mysterious and, wondrous and then it being creepy and scary and spooky like a horror movie and this kind of goes down the middle with it for most of the most of the running time i don't want to say it is your average alien sort of abduction strange lights in the sky movie but it sort of is you know there's not a lot to distinguish it up front the acting is not bad the acting's decent it's kind of odd because it's a mostly it's a british cast in the middle of a like u.s town you know um doesn't really matter here or there but i had a hard time first pinpointing like wait is this or where are we exactly um that's the that's neither here nor there it's not really a criticism of the film i think that the issue i have is that the story builds reasonably well as a mystery but as it goes along you really there's not a lot to back in the day this would have been one of the lesser x-files episodes the story that's being told here would kind of needed Mulder and Scully to show up at some point. You know what I mean? Uh, none of the characters or the story are all that interesting. And the twist in the third act is kind of the sort of twist that normally, you know, I just don't feel it really worked. It doesn't feel earned. It feels like an attempt to totally change the story up because they only really want to use the aliens as window dressing. You know what I mean? It's almost like we're just going to dress this movie up in an alien encounter vibe because we really don't know what to do with it. The alien element here, it's not that it's not prevalent. It's not that it, it it's a complete like red herring. It's not exactly. But where the story goes, it doesn't really need the aliens. And as a result, it doesn't really know what to do with them. So I'm watching this movie that's interesting to a point and wants to draw you in with the mystery, but it doesn't have any real place it was taking me. Um, I wanted, It was effective in so many ways. I love this kind of movie. The very first movie we reviewed on this podcast when it came back, you and I, was The Vast of Night. And to me, all this movie does sort of underscore how good that one was. Now, that being said, I think it's an it's a decent little movie you can kind of pass the time with it it's probably like a i said six when we first watched it it's honestly more like a 5.5 to me i just think that the setup and the the ambiance is all strong you're getting into this story but it didn't really take me anywhere that that surprised me because even the twist is a thing where it feels like a cop-out the twist only opens more questions to me than it answered how did you feel about that 
Yeah, it, it was one of those ones where I think everybody's seen a movie before where they try to wrap everything up in a tight bow in the last five minutes, all the right things fall together. And it kind of felt like they were trying to throw enough in there that you'd end up satisfied with how it ended and how all the loose ends got tied up. But I really didn't think they did. So No, because I, the ending, where this movie goes, has almost nothing to do with the 70-some minutes that come before it. Yeah, it's almost kind of like, you know how if you've seen a much superior, one of my favorite all-time psychological horror films, Jacob's Ladder, and it kind of goes to a, a different kind of dream sequence and things kind of get explained, but this one has way more vagueness to it than what was present in other films that have done it better. Yeah, and to be fair to Jacob's Ladder, it sets the scaffolding up for everything that happens in that movie. In Jacob's Ladder, the culmination of those events are the justification for the story. This is like something that comes out of nowhere as a justification for why we made the movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, as I said, they tried to kind of give you like a cosmopolitan ice cream bowl and you got all your answers in the <laughs> ice cream bowl, but you're not quite sure what you're scooping up. <laughs> but I will say I, I've seen it rated kind of harshly and it's not that bad. If you are someone who really enjoys this kind of movie, I think you can, there are things here to enjoy about it, but I would say it's not, it's not remotely the strongest uh, contender for this type of movie that came out this year. I would say definitely go see The Vast of Night uh, if you're really, really into alien movies and you've seen every episode that the X-Files has to offer. Maybe check this one out. Yeah, this this one is one that's good to watch at night in the dark or even during the day, but make sure all the lights are out because the one thing it does have going for them is this, it's a sensory film. So it's got kinds of flashing lights and it's got ambient sounds and it's got the wind shaking and the houses clattering and stuff. So this is not one to put on in the background when you're folding laundry with your ki with seven kids on your knees. You know, like that's, it's not one seven of those kind of films. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, agreed. And it, I will say there's that kind of bar we've talked about before, the, t the Tubi bar, if you will, there for, for Tommy out there, Listen, which is that you know, if I turned this on on Tubi and watched it, I would probably be relatively pleased because it is better than a lot of what you find there. Again, like I said, the technical aspects are totally fine. Where this movie, and that's kind of frustrating when you see a, a smaller budgeted film that has all its resources in place and has the right craftsmen working on it. When you realize that the problem here is almost entirely down to the writing, you know, the way this story was conceived it should have been rewritten before it went to camera, in my opinion. But Yeah, well, exactly. I think if you're a sci-fi fan, you're going to want to watch it, but it's not right on your top of your priority list. But you could do a lot worse. Yes. But again, I'd say if you haven't seen see Vast of Night, see Fire in the Sky, a much superior movie. Yep. Um, that's going to freak you out a little bit, too. I, that's the other thing. I wasn't freaked out by anything in Dark Encounters. Not really. No. No. It didn't have that kind of freakiness or that kind of uh, paranoia that you want from a movie like this. No. And it was, it's, it's watchable. It isn't, um, I just don't think it's quite as successful as it wanted to be. You said you're about a six, Bill? Yeah, I'm about a six, five and a half to a six, yeah. So uh, next up, I want to talk about another science fiction movie that also was on Netflix, another kind of big one. Uh, it's had a lot of views or a lot of watch on netflix over the holidays this is the midnight sky it's actually directed by george clooney and it stars george clooney and we haven't really seen george clooney in a whole lot i you know it's been 
a number of years here, and it's been some years since I've seen him really in anything of note. Um, probably one of the big movies I remember him being in, as far as in front of the camera, was Tomorrowland for Disney some years ago. And I know that that wasn't quite the hit. I I liked it, but it wasn't quite the hit that I think the studio was looking for. So I, you know, would you agree, Bill? I think he's kind of been under the radar for the last uh, four years or so. Oh yeah, you haven't heard too much from him, but I'm curious to see what you say about his project. Yeah. So, and I, and as a director, Clooney is kind of, he's a guy that for me as a director, he's actually kind of a mixed bag because he can be very good. I thought Confessions of a Dangerous Mind um, about Chuck Barris, like that was a very good movie. Uh, and of course, Good Night and Good Luck, which was nominated for Oscars, was also a very good movie. And I personally enjoyed Leather, Leathernecks or Leatherheads. Um, that he did a few years ago, but then there's movies like Monuments Man and, and some of these other films where they feel like he's there. He's almost there, but he doesn't quite get there. Like they're interesting efforts, but you're not with them as much as you'd like to be. So Midnight Sky is my, one of my favorite genres, which is that science fiction movie that deals with mankind trying to find their hope and their salvation in space we've had tons of those movies of course uh we've talked about movies like them on the podcast 2001 we've talked about uh movies like ad astra and you know interstellar and midnight sky is in that vein it takes place in uh basically the post-apocalypse and the very recent post-apocalypse we don't know exactly what's happened but everything has sort of fallen out very quickly we're talking about a period of weeks have transpired and we're set up in the arctic with this scientist named augustine he's played by Clooney, and everyone is leaving and they're leaving and there's a sense of finality because everything's falling apart we get the idea that maybe some nukes were launched we don't know but whatever had happened happened quick and it was seemingly human engineered and it decimated everybody we're not talking about a virus but a cataclysm of some of some nature and it's happened quickly because Clooney works at this uh, research center and this base that is connected to monitoring all the various sort of uh, space missions that exist. And one of the missions that that's, that's out there is involved with a ship that is trying to go out to a planet that looks livable, that looks habitable, and determine if, hey, can we, can we eventually move mankind into the stars and to this planet uh, and survive. And so now this has happened. Everybody, there's not much hope. The people that are leaving are just leaving to head back towards civilization. Augustine decides to stay, but he doesn't have much hope for where the people are going. There's a bit very early on where a woman is distressed because she's leaving the research space, but she cannot find her daughter. And then almost in Home Alone's fashion, someone says, oh yeah, I haven't counted over here. She's on the plane. Don't worry about it. They get up and they leave, leaving Augustine by himself and noticing that all the emissions have either been canceled or have been shut down. There's radio silence. And then he finds one. There's one left that's still running. And he uh, identifies that they're still out there. They're on their way. They're supposed to be headed back to Earth at this point. And they should be only a matter of hours away from coming back. And he realizes that... Uh, he needs to get in touch with them because they don't seem to know that something has happened on Earth. There's been no communication that would let them know what, what's, what's happened. And so the spaceship that it's, he's on is the spaceship Ether. And so 
on board that ship, you have a separate drama that's sort of playing out because they're trying to find out why there's radio silence. What is going on on Earth? They have no clue. Felicity Jones plays Sully, who's sort of the... She's the head up of the mission. She gives a very good performance. David Oello is in it too. He he's uh at OL and he also uh in the movie he plays they're all sort of researchers. They've all been on this previous planet. They've all it's been more successful than they hoped it would be, and now they're headed back and they're bringing this information. Augustine is racing to tell them no, turn around, don't come back to Earth because there's a cataclysm and you're just going to waste fuel and everything else. If you can head back where you came from, if you can go back to this planet, there's a hope for the human race. But if you come back, this is the end. You know, you're we're all done. And in that, you know, Kyle Chandler, uh, Karen Springell, they're, uh, they're all members of this crew. And so you have the typical interactions you have from crew members on a spaceship kind of movie. That scenes are not that interesting, honestly. They feel very austere. There isn't even a sense of wonder because we only have one moment where we get an idea of Sully on the alien planet, but that's not doesn't really play into the story. It's all about this down-to-the-wire, can Augustine get to the other research center where the satellite still works in order to communicate with them. And so in that way, it becomes a sort of almost Jack London adventure story and instead of a dog, we have a child that's left behind. Because guess what? Augustine finds the, the little girl in the research station. She doesn't speak to him at first. He's trying to figure out where she came from. He has a pretty good idea he knows. And so she joins him on this sort of expedition. And we realize that the air is becoming toxic up in the Arctic now as well. So he's trying to use the time he's got remaining to get to this research station. I should mention that up front, we know that Augustine does have a terminal illness. So you could throw that on top of one of the many plot contrivances that show up in this movie. <laughs> this is another movie at about 150 some minutes that is entirely too long for what Clooney's trying to do. I usually love these sorts of movies, but it can't quite figure out what sort of movie it wants to be. Uh, it's trying to be a race the clock adventure movie. It wants to be a movie about finding hope beyond the planet, about finding hope in your fellow humans and that it isn't all about science. And yet as this is another movie that gets hung up on a lot of twists that really to me aren't twists because they seem so obvious. They're writing tricks that you notice almost immediately. And Clooney as a director is pretty good as a director, even here in this film, but he's aiming for something a little bigger. And so he's not trying to obscure the twist. He's trying to tell the story in this grand sort of humanist way. And I don't think it works because the drama's just not there. I don't feel connected Clooney's giving a fine performance, but I don't feel connected between he and the child. There's no connection really when we finally have him talking to people in the spaceship. And the, the, the twists that happen, these coincidences that we're supposed to buy in order to tie these two events together to give us some grand scope and hope, they just fall flat to me. It's really a big disappointment in a lot of ways because this is my favorite kind of movie usually. I don't even mind when a movie is a slow burn as long as that burn sort of picks up heat and and flavor, you know what I mean? And that's not really happening in this one. Uh, so it is a disappointment. I think that if you enjoy the big kind of space sagas, this is one built on a big scale. Netflix has dumped a lot of money behind it. It's not 
I don't want to say it's completely boring, but it does drag a lot, and that's they never quite find that spark. And to me, it's the the lack of the human interactions and the characters. There's too much time making the story clever instead of trying to give it some sort of real heart or feeling. Okay, so uh, what you're saying is what you know in terms of ranking this among this year's crop of sci-fi movies where would you put it i see it's down a bit i mean honestly to me I, i'm gonna go again like I, i'm probably coming a little lower actually it, to me it, i hate to go so low but probably at a, like a five to me and I, the reason for it is the technical aspects are on point the directing is not bad but the story just and i've had this experience with a lot of the netflix movies io uh the cloverfield uh paradox it also had featured david ale in it they they just feel like they have been assembled in a factory from these various parts of other movies we've seen before and when you lack that narrative drive and those characters that you want to really care about they can become a slog and this one just about this one does become difficult to get through because you're grasping and you're not reaching onto it it wants to be a movie like interstellar it wants to be a movie like last year's ad astra which i know not everybody loved i happen to love ad astra I, ha- I really enjoyed Interstellar. I think those are both stronger movies than this. Uh, and, and the sci-fi movies that we've had this year, even some of the smaller ones, are narratively speaking stronger. This one just becomes, it wants to be profound and it really feels contrived. Watch it if you need to or want to, but don't put it on the top of your queue. Well, yeah, I would say there's going to be people who enjoy it more than I did for sure. Uh, that might be able to go along with it. It's it's not a. It wants. It has the making of a thoughtful, awe-inspiring sci-fi movie, but none of the actual characteristics that would allow it to be that. You know, so um, to me, I was just very disappointed by it, which is a shame because Clooney, I think, is very talented. He's also a very good actor. Uh, he gives a fine performance here, but all he really has to do for most of it is glower and look unshaven, you know, and unkempt. A little bit. So um, I would love to see him tackle the genre again. I just think here, you know, the 2002 version of Solaris, I joked about watching the old Solaris earlier, but the 2002 Solaris that was produced by James Cameron and directed by Steven Soderbergh with Clooney in the cast tackles a lot of the same themes in a much shorter running time in a much more effective and human way. So I'd recommend that if you want to see Clooney in space adventure and you get to see his butt in that one too. So uh, ooh, check ooh. that one out. Something to <laughs> that's, that was 2002's Clooney's butt, not ooh. 2020 Clooney's oh. butt. Fine, so. for, fine form, butt. yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So you got anything else, Bill? Um, no, I, I do have a couple other movies that I did see. I would look for people to look out for uh, the movie on Prime called Black Box. And it's a, a sci-fi movie dealing with, and sci-fi horror, even a bit of fantasy, dealing with memory. And Felicia Rashad from The Cosby Show is in it. And I don't want to go too deep into it, but it is a bit of a change change up film. It kind of makes a switch halfway through and you kind of go, ah, okay, this is where it's going. Uh, it's about a guy who had an accident and has lost his memory and he's trying to piece things back together and certain memories get put into him that aren't necessarily his. And I'll just kind of leave it at that. It's about an hour and a half worth a watch. And uh, I would put it, it might sneak into a top 10. It might sneak into a, uh, an honorable mention. It's not too bad. It's one of those, I think, Blumhouse Prime films. 
but it's rating wise, what would you rate that one, Bill? Uh, I don't know if I uh, give it. I give it about a seven out of ten. Okay, yeah, cool. I haven't seen it yet. I, I've seen the trailers for it, and I was—I remember seeing the trailers and seeing Felicia Rashad there, who's had a little bit of a resurgence. I've seen her in a couple of movies this year, including a uh, an animated, not yeah, animated, but a Netflix uh, Christmas film earlier this year, Jingle Jangle. She was she had a small role in that. I will say for her age, she does look really good. She's kept herself in good shape and stuff, so she does a pretty decent performance in it. Um, I have just one more I want to talk about, and then we'll kind of wrap up. Uh, and it's a movie that literally it came out just about two days. It came out the day before the end of the year, really. Uh, and it is a film. I'm not going to cover it in great detail, but it's uh, it is something I wanted to draw people's attention to. And uh, because it kind of it perfectly straddles that line between the science fiction, the fantasy, and the horror, more on the horror fantasy end of things. But it's a movie called Shadow in the Cloud. It came out on demand on the 30th. I believe it is a 2020 movie and IMDb kind of classifies as action, horror and war, which I would say is largely true. It's directed by Roseanne Ling and it starred the primary star. This is Chloe Grace Moretz. And I'm going to read the IMDb synopsis because it's a pretty, it's, it's somewhat accurate. A female WW2 pilot traveling with top secret documents on a B-17 flying fortress encounters an evil presence on board the flight. So that's essentially correct, uh, minus the documents part. She has documents that are protecting the top secret package that she is carrying. So the, it's not the documents that are top secret, uh, although the, you know they're not supposed to ask too many questions about them. The, and these these men who are on this plane, when she gets on it, she just kind of walks on, hands them the hands them her paperwork, and she has this little satchel that she says this, this is very important. No one can open it. And they are immediately dismissive of her. The The elements here are that this is shot and done in a way that feels like a retro matinee adventure movie with a, not too much on the retro because there's a cool synth score that goes with it. So it's not trying to replicate a 40s movie per se, but it wants to give you that ambiance, particularly what it's like to be in that claustrophobic closed in area of the plane. And yet with that 2020 kind of perspective of kind of the feminist view of just what it would really be like to be a woman walking into this situation, to be someone who has done enough training that I can fly this plane if I needed to, but nobody here believes me. And they're so quickly to reduce her to, you know, off color comments. And they, they put her in the Sperry in the, in the bottom turret gun at the bottom of the plane just because they don't know what else to do with her. So they don't even, you know, they're like, we got one space and they shove her down there. And most of this film is inside of that, inside of the Sperry, inside of that turret closed in. And they do such an amazing job. Most of the time you're only hearing the voices of these guys above her and you're closed in with her for most of the movie. And yet they still manage to make this feel like a immersive adventure. And they, and it doesn't slow down in these scenes. It's not a long movie. It's about an hour and 23 minutes. I'm not going to get into too much about what's in the package to me was a genuine surprise what's going on and what starts to happen the fantasy element here is that there is guess what a thing on the wing of the plane and the way it plays into the story keeps getting more intense this is very over the top this does start to feel like a little like a like a 10 or 11 year old boy reading one of those amazing wonder stories in the 40s you know sitting there with it open and imagining like a aerial dogfights happening and there's creatures and there's adventures and here's this character who's trying to rise to the occasion and it just has a breathless adventure feel to it that works i think that some of the take 
where they're trying to have a more modern perspective on it works as well. This movie is not subtle, and I think that's okay for the kind of story it is. It has beats that would that if we saw Indiana Jones doing the things that Chloe Grace Moretz does here, we wouldn't blink an eye. But, you know, you're watching the movie, and it tone changes from being more claustrophobic to being kind of high-flying adventure. And that all that stuff works. I will mention that the very opening of the movie is an animated uh, PSA about what to do if you encounter gremlins. And I will, I will essentially leave it at that. So if you remember Mr. Futterman making his statements about good old WII and the gremlins they had to deal with, this this movie goes right to the heart of that of that uh, line of dialogue, I think. And to me, I was a ton of fun. It, it was a movie that just kind of keeps getting better. You're very um, unsure about how it's going to go. I think Moretz gives a good performance. This is a movie that does feel silly, though. You're, you're going to have to to uh, definitely suspend your disbelief. And at a certain point, watching the movie get crazier is one of the pleasures of it, if that makes sense. You know, you start to see things happen and you almost want to cheer for how gonzo it kind of gets. But I enjoyed it a lot. I give this one a 7.5, honestly. I think it has a lot of rewatchability. I think it's a movie, it plays best as maybe a midnight movie kind of deal, like like an over-the-top, like watch it with a bunch of people and just have fun. Don't take it too seriously, but you can have a good time with it. I like. I look forward to watching this because I have not seen it yet, but I will within the next week because we're covering it on the next Land of the Creeps. So maybe the next episode we record, I'll give my thoughts on it because it is right on the top of my queue, and I will be seeing it within the next couple of days. So yeah, I really hope you enjoy it. It was a nice kind of treat to sort of end or start the year with, depending on your perspective. And I will everybody love it. I don't know. I this one it is rated R. I want to point that out. The tone of the movie in general. And some of the action and violence is not so much the issue, but there's a lot of the language and the way that the men are speaking to this lady in particular or where this is not a movie that's going to like, you don't want to sit down with your like 10 year old kid and watch it or something. I um, got you. But so I, I was going to say, I guess for this episode, we didn't quite get to everything we wanted to, but that's okay because what we got to was really good stuff. Yeah, and we'll be back, like I say, I, we're going to do a little bit more um, here. We'll have another episode probably next week. I want to I start having some of these smaller ep- these episodes be a little bit smaller where we can just kind of shoot the breeze and talk about what's going on with Phantom Galaxy because there is a lot there is a lot going on. And we will be back probably with another one of those episodes. And we, um, we are going to have uh, some more guests, and then we will have those. We're planning this week. When we get the website up, we're going to make sure – or the and the Facebook group – We'll have some regular updates about what's coming up next and, and make sure that you, the listeners, get to be involved. So the next episode we record, I'm going to make sure we have a post up ahead of time so that we have a place where people can leave voice messages if they'd like to. And that uh, we might even be able to set up a call-in situation. I know that seems to work well for a lot of the podcasts. So anything you want to hear from us, please let us know. Um, things have been a great podcasting wise it was a great year bill 2020 was i don't know i mean there's a lot of of, uh chaos a lot of uh problems a lot of issues but at least from a podcasting point of view i don't know about you nathan i had a really good year and and the segue one of the segments we didn't get to today is we have a whole list of friendly podcasts to our show and next episode i want to give them the attention they deserve to get a full talk out yeah, I think what I'd like to do, it, Bill, you and I have been talking about this for a while, is kind of do an episode that was really just a an episode dedicated to um, 
letting you know what other podcasts are out there, almost like a podcast mini review. And, so, and, and we'll be upfront that some of these people, you know, one of the great things about the podcast community is a lot of these people are our friends. You know, we'll say that up front. Uh, and there are other podcasts that I, I listen to. I mean, I listened to Land of the Creeps and Horror Movie Podcasts for years before I knew any of any of you that were on it. And uh, so I was a fan first and foremost. But I do I, – I, there's a lot of content out there, a lot of really there's good stuff. And, and almost daily, Bill – is sending me a new podcast to say, "Hey, look what's out here," and I'm listening to it, and it's, it's great stuff. And we're, yeah. we're, we're one of the things. One of the things I love doing, ladies and gentlemen, is collaborating and getting to know other podcasters. Not because we're using each other for anything, just because I like to bounce ideas and want to see where other people's heads are, and you know, maybe branch out here and there. So, if there's anybody listening that has a really good con- uh, content. Uh, or and wants us to know about their podcast that's somewhere within our realm shoot it over to us we're more than willing to listen yeah yeah absolutely well that's all we have for this uh this episode bill um that's that's what i got is there anything else you want to uh you want to plug before we uh finish off here well right now just listen to land of the creeps and listen to this podcast and listen to father and son watch horror and listen to real talk of movie podcast and evil jelly with the boys over there, ghost hacks, whatever one you like in the genre, listen to, because we're all one really big family, really. Nothing happens within one that someone doesn't hear about. So support us all. Give us a listen. I know time is limited, uh, and I know you want to stay sane as much as you can. So, Yeah, okay, and that's it. This is the Phantom Galaxy signing out. Take care, everyone. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth-pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth-pop, a lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Thank you.